0: I'm going to talk about the church at Philadelphia today. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia is situated about 25 miles southeast of Smyrna, and its name literally means one who loves his brother. It was named by its founder, Euminus the second, who named it in honour of his brother, who was to succeed him. It was a reasonably sized town, but was subject to constant earthquakes, which ate up the town's resources in repairing the walls. So the citizens there were not particularly wealthy. There is still a town in Turkey today called Alas Sheher, literally the city of God, with a population of around 10,000. And it has some 25 Christian churches overseen by a bishop and that is where philadelphia was and this is the city that now stands there its claim to fame today is licorice production they go out into the fields around where there are loads of licorice trees apparently gather them in and process them and sell them so that was an interesting fact that i thought strange but true one of those As Nick alluded to a few weeks ago, it's the only church among the seven that has nothing said against it. So let's go through the text and discover why that might be. The passage starts off with the author establishing his credentials. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Jesus by his very nature is holy and because of his holiness he's only able to speak that which is true. I think it was Tim Halton a couple of weeks ago who said, Jesus doesn't mess about wrapping things up in niceties. He speaks the truth as he sees it and for some of the churches that we've heard about the truth was painful and difficult to hear. Although they were all given options of how they could correct their shortcomings and regain Christ's favour in the area of problems. There is always a way out. We're also told that he holds the key of David this is also referred to in Isaiah 22:22, where the then man in authority, Shebna, was told that he will be replaced by Elakim, for God will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. Whoever holds the key has the authority, and the key of David implies control of David's domain, Jerusalem and Israel. This power and authority was promised to the Messiah in both the Old and the New Testaments, in Isaiah 9-7 and Luke 1-32. Jesus, therefore, here is either committing a huge blasphemy or is claiming his rightful place as the promised Messiah. To the church in Philadelphia, I'm sure it would have been recognised as the latter. The text continues, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts... No one can open. Having established his credentials as the promised Messiah, Jesus makes this statement, where it says that he, Jesus, in his absolute authority, is the one who opens the doors of opportunity for the church. He opens the hearts of men and women to receive the good news of salvation, and he opens the gates of heaven, so that those who believe on him and accept him as Lord and Saviour will receive the promise of eternal life. We need to play our part in what goes on in the church and its outreach. But it's only Jesus who can do the opening of people's hearts. Similarly, he also alone can close the doors against the workers of iniquity and those who turn their back on him. We then have the encouraging, perhaps to some daunting statement, I know your deeds encouraging in that Jesus cares enough about his people that he watches us constantly and is aware of all of our actions. His love is complete and overwhelming, and his passion for his people to continue on the right path is highlighted by these seven letters to the churches, which are sent as by a father to his children. Full of love and compassion, but also discipline where necessary in order to bring them back onto the right path. Daunting for some in that there is a realisation that there is nowhere to hide. Psalm 139 recognises this and concludes that there is no hiding place from God or Jesus wherever you may want to go. We therefore need to be constantly on our guard against doing things against God's will, and that can be a daunting thought. It continues, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Having seen their deeds, Jesus has placed an open door before the church that no one other than him can shut. question that crossed my mind was, Does every church have an open door before it, that Jesus has opened for it? Only God knows the answer to that one. Most commentators see two aspects to this door. Firstly, it is the door to salvation for those who accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It's a door that no man can shut and therefore we are promised eternal salvation when we accept Jesus as it tells us in John 10, 28 to 30. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me Is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is here acknowledging, as he goes on to say, the faithfulness of the Philadelphian church, despite the fact that they are under persecution, and there is no doubting they were, as was all of the Christian church at that time. From the world outside and from false prophets within the church itself. Despite all of this and the fact that they had little strength of their own they kept God's word and did not deny Jesus' name. In other words they had remained faithful to God's and Jesus' teaching despite what was going on in the world around them and the pressures they were being put under because of their faith. It doesn't happen in this country as yet, thank God, but imagine if you lived as a Christian In a country where the local government official came knocking on your door and asked you if it was true that you were a practising Christian and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. He then goes on, Oh, and before you answer that question, let me just say that if you answer in the affirmative, you needn't bother reporting in for work at the bank on Monday because your job will no longer be there and won't be until you renounce your Christian faith. And the place that has just been given to your son at the local university to study law will have been filled by someone else. And I'm afraid there won't be any more places available until your whole family renounces the Christian faith. Oh, and as you've lost your job, you won't be able to pay your mortgage payments and may well end up in debtor's jail until you can. And your wife has been blacklisted in a 50-mile radius, so she won't be able to get a job to support you all either. So what is your answer to my question? Sounds like a work of fiction doesn't it to our Western ears. Well we had a guy called Dave drop in on our evening service last week or the week before. He was an American from Oregon and for the last 15 years has been a missionary in India where he met and married his Indian wife. His visa was due for renewal in October And he applied as usual. But upon a totally spurious pretext, the authorities refused his visa and effectively kicked himself, his wife, and their three children out of the country. He was working in a remote region of India where the local authorities have closed down 25 churches in the last 18 months. And true stories like the one I've just related are commonplace. And the police turn a blind eye to any breaches of the law that the authorities may be committing, and any press interest that may be there is totally suppressed. So if you found yourself in those circumstances, being asked that question, what would your answer be? So to say that the Church of Philadelphia had kept Jesus' word and not denied his name sort of takes on a whole new meaning when you realise what sacrifices they had to make in order to do that, when they were suffering similar persecutions from the world for their faith and false prophets within the church were condemning them for holding to what they said was a false doctrine. It cost them a huge amount to do that. Having commended them for their faithfulness, Jesus then goes on to encourage them by showing that he is very much aware of those claiming to be Jews who are speaking into their lives. And here again, he does not mince his word. He tells them that they are in fact of the synagogue of Satan and liars, and that he will speak into their hearts as only he can, and bring them to a place of repentance such that they will come before the church, acknowledging that they are the church loved by Jesus. And by their faith and actions in the church, they can see Jesus at work in their lives. Only Jesus can do that in people's hearts. Even in our Western world here, we sometimes despair of the fact of ever reaching people's hearts for Jesus. But Jesus can do it in the hardest of hearts. We just need to play our part, as the church in Philadelphia did. We need to be faithful, we need to keep his word, and we need to follow his leading. Jesus will do the rest. We don't need to worry about whether the words we're saying are being effective or not. Jesus has said, I will give you the words. He's even said, if your words fail, then the Holy Spirit will give you the words to put into your mouth. So we don't need to be afraid of going out there and saying to people, Come and find out who God really is. Because that's what we've been commanded to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. It's Jesus through the Holy Spirit who actually convicts. And he can do that with anybody at any time. We just need to be faithful and be true to his word. The next bit is a line which I know I struggle with from time to time. And I know from conversations with some of you. It's a line you'd rather wasn't there as well. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Note it's not a request. It's not a perhaps you'd like to or even an option. It's a command from Jesus to endure patiently. In almost every reference in the Bible to patience we are told to patiently endure or wait with patient endurance. Neither of which are traits that I, and may I dare to say most of us, are not that well endowed with. And I can really struggle sometimes with either or both. So for Jesus to commend the Philadelphians for having endured patiently, especially under persecution and the teaching of false prophets, is some compliment. They were a faithful people. They were a patient people. They were an enduring people. And Jesus commends them for it. Because of their faithfulness, Jesus promises to keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world. Their faithfulness is recognised by Jesus. And he promises, because of this, he will spare them from the trial which is to come. Jesus rewards a faithful people. Jesus then repeats his promise that he will be returning soon to take his own unto himself and encourages them to hold on to what they already have. That is a sure and steadfast faith, which has been pleasing in his sight, in order that no one can deny them their rightful place. We, each one of us, need encouragement from time to time. And it's really great when someone comes up after a service, or at some point uh, when you've done something, and says, great, that was really good, I was really encouraged by it. It not only is good for them to receive it, it's good to them to give be feedback. Because we all need encouragement in our lives from time to time. Because sometimes we can stand here and think, why on earth am I doing this? Because no one seems to be taking any notice of it. So we all need that encouragement. Jesus here is encouraging them to persevere in their faithfulness. And gives them a glimpse of the rewards that await them in heaven. A recognition of their faithful service to Jesus is that he will write on them, figuratively, presumably, but who knows, the name of my God, God the Father, the creator and sustainer of all things. Also the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which as we are told in Revelation 21-2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I will also write on him my new name, so that no one will be in any doubt that this is a child of God who has been faithful, patient and enduring in their faith and is receiving their just reward. And finally, the best reward of all, having remained faithful and true and having been brought into God and Jesus' presence in the Jerusalem, They are promised. Never again will he leave it. He will dwell in the presence of the God Almighty and his Son forevermore. Amen? Amen. Remember I said a while ago that there were two thoughts on what this open door was. The first, as we have seen, was salvation. The second is an opportunity to witness through our lifestyles, our actions and our words. love of Christ to those around us. Jesus has, I believe, opened the door of opportunity for us here in NCF, on this estate and in the surrounding area, as these new estates, which seem to get more and more, week by week, explode with growth around us. There are now several thousand houses being built in and around this area. We started by delivering leaflets to some of them, but I'm sure over the coming months, God wants us to listen to him for ways in which he wants us to develop NCF for him. I do not believe that it is any coincidence that as this opportunity arises, God has raised up a new face to lead NCF forward into these exciting times. Well, it's not just John who needs to hear from God It says at the end of each of these letters, does it not? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It doesn't say, John Stevenson, I need you to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Although, of course, God will expect John to listen. It says, he who has an ear. That means each and every one of us should be listening. We all, as far as I know, although I'm told mine isn't as good as it was, have ears to hear with. And God isn't exclusive in revealing his plans to the church. So part of our responsibility to God, to NCF and to John over the coming weeks is to seek God for his plans for the church. And if we receive anything, then to bring it to the leadership for weighing We have an excellent reputation on this estate because of the work which we do with the various community groups that meet here. And indeed people have come into the church itself by being gently introduced from those groups into church life. I look forward to that continuing and developing over the coming months. As John is inducted into the role of lead minister in January I believe with all my heart that just as Elijah passed on the mantle of responsibility to Elisha, then God will lift the mantle of responsibility for NCS' spiritual, emotional and physical well-being from my shoulders and place it around John's. He will also continue to develop John's ministry as he did mine, and we will see him grow and mature as he is faithful to God's leading on his life. It's been a huge privilege for me and for Lynn to serve you over the last 13 years. And we look forward to supporting John and Jill in their ministry to you. It will be different to ours, inevitably. But it will be an exciting time. And we need to hold both John and Jill in our prayers continuously. And we need to help and encourage them as you have done Lynn and I in the past, in any way that we can. We need to help them to take this church to where God wants it to be in the future. God has always been faithful to the leadership of this church from when it started. And we have seen some amazing things happen, not least of which was the gifting of this building to us. That was an exciting time. But God, as with the Philadelphian church, gifted this building to us with an expectation, an expectation that we would be faithful and true to him. And we would use this building as a base for reaching out to those around us, to showing those around us, both in the church and outside the church, that we are children of God, that we want to see God's kingdom grow in this place. As I step back and as John steps forward, It's a time when God will bring about some changes. Not everybody likes changes. But if they're in God's will and they're in God's way and they will develop His kingdom and bring fruit into this church, then we need to accept them and we need to go with them. And we need to see the church grow through them. It's a good time for us to pray for John and Jill and their ministry going forward. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'll still be around and I'll still be here to uh, hopefully help and encourage John uh, in his ministry. But uh, the role will change. So we need to embrace that and move forward with it. So let's just pray for John and Jill.